1: I'm so glad to be catching up with my very good friend Dean Prosser. Used to run the "People I Meet" podcast, is that right? So, welcome Dean back again to Mindshift Podcast.
0: Thank you, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here, Clint. So, <laughs> what
1: happened to the "People I Meet" podcast?
0: Are you still doing that? Uh, I'm. I'm not. Uh, I, I worked. I worked really hard at it uh, for mm-hmm. two years, and um, it it uh, it ended up just. You know the honest the honest truth is it ended up being too painful. Um, mm. I after two years uh, I was still getting nine to twenty five listens or downloads per episode. Uh, it just wasn't working. I I wasn't able to figure out how to find my audience, and so I just I mean it's still up every every everybody that I all the interviews that I published are still up and available. I just I'm not doing any more new ones. Right. So, it's an so interesting thing, wants- isn't
1: it? Yeah. So they're still out there. We've, we've done a few, obviously you've been on Mindship podcast a couple of times. I've been on your show before we had a really yeah. good conversation. We connected on a lot of levels. I mean, you're still, are you still up out of Pennsylvania somewhere out in the wilds? Last time I talked to you, you were living somewhere like remote in the mm-hmm. wilds of Pennsylvania.
0: Have you stayed there or have you moved? Uh, actually um, my two youngest kids moved out of the house mm-hmm. Uh near uh in the fall of last year and uh, i just i just could not get work up there and so i moved to the lehigh valley uh so um people who aren't familiar with pennsylvania uh basically allentown Hmm. Uh, i I live in bethlehem next door to allentown oh man i know the billy joel song we're living here
1: in allentown (laughs) they're closing all
0: the factories down
1: It's Out
0: so true, isn't it? Yep. Is that what's... for Bethlehem, they're standing in line. <laughs> yeah,
1: are, is that the way it is down there even still? Sort of the Rust Belt states, are they bringing any of that back?
0: Um, You know, I, I, I don't watch very much news. It seems like uh, everybody who uh, wants to be employed by a corporation uh, is. Hmm. And then there's a lot of... Um, you know, folks figuring out how to do it on their own, because they don't want to work for $11 an hour, right? So they, right. they, they, they figure out how to how to make uh, more money by themselves.
1: But of course, Trump was going to bring all that back.
0: That was the thing mm-hmm. that was
1: part of his strategy, wasn't it was to <laughs> appeal to middle America and say, Look, you know, they've those bastards close everything down, we're bringing it all back. So you got to vote for me so that we're going to bring all this industry back. We're going to bring coal mining back. We're going to bring the steel plants back. So a place like Allentown, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, that would have been right in the middle of where he was aiming at, surely.
0: Yeah. Um, there's still <laughs> I run into because I have a public facing job. I, I work in a very busy uh, hardware store. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I, I run into Trump supporters every single day and it's torturous. <laughs> <laughs> Just bite your tongue. Of course, you can't yeah. talk
1: about politics at work. You shouldn't, as they say, religion, yes, politics.
0: Yeah, but they're all allowed to talk to me about it. Yeah, right. They can bring and, their MAGA and,
1: hats in and everything else. Oh, and
0: way worse. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. Weird because here in the UK, obviously we have our political issues. We've got a big flap going on right now with Boris Johnson, and there's all this crap about whether or not he was going to parties during the COVID lockdowns and everything else, but that's about as bad as it gets. But I remember one time when I was traveling back and forth to the States quite a bit, this would have been during the Trump era, I went into a a lumberyard, okay, because I'm a carpenter, we were doing a job, my friend and I, we were going to get some materials, and on the desk of the guy that we were dealing with, there was a MAGA hat. And it really struck me how kind of in a visceral way, I thought, I almost said something to the guy, but he was giving us a really good deal. So I I bit my tongue, but I was going to say, how is that allowed? How is that you're an employee of this company? What the hell is allows you to have a MAGA hat sitting on your desk facing the customer? And obviously, he's making a statement, you know, and I was walked away. I was really bothered by that. And I think maybe being over here in the UK, we don't see that kind of stuff you know, but for you, it must be a hard thing to, like you say, bite your tongue.
0: Yes. Yeah. That, and, and every day, every day having spoiled baby boomers yelling and screaming um, about how um, nobody wants to work anymore. When you're working in a
1: hardware store.
0: Yeah. And, and for, for less than a livable wage and, um, and looking at the, you know, knowing somebody like me who knows the numbers for Gen Gen Z and millennials and knowing that they work more hours per week than Gen Xers and boomers did at the age that they're working mm-hmm. and have less savings, more debt, less chance to, uh, you know, have a decent life, right? <laughs> I know, I know all those facts because they're Facts—they're—they're they're actual studies that have been done yeah. and show that those the things statistics are, are there, yeah, right. And I have to listen to these people, you know, who are pissed off because they can't get the exact light bulb they want right this second, mm-hmm. you know, yelling and screaming about how nobody wants to work. This generation is soft; they're lazy, you know. And <laughs> are you concerned? Living,
1: working in a hardware store? Okay, you're in a brick and mortar store. I am everything's going to Amazon and you can order something and have it the next day on Amazon prime. Are you concerned that the wave of the future is going to leave you behind working in that hardware store? Cause that's the wave of the future, isn't it? That's where everything's heading pretty soon. They're going to have a drone dropping your shit off in front of your house. And there's not even right. going to be a, a person in a van dropping right. this stuff off. So, you know, what about the brick and mortar sort of mom and pop hardware stores?
0: Right. Well, uh, I don't work. I I work for a uh, a very large national right. chain. Right. Um, so it's not a mom and pop outfit. No, it is you not. You might be more concerned <laughs> if you were, if especially if the Walmart came to town, they would just blow you out, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, Walmart is is has been here for for decades, but um, right. yeah. I'm, I my my current plan is uh I, I'm planning on leaving May of 2023. Now, so, do they know that? Have you you haven't turned in your yes. notice yet?
1: That's a long uh, they, way to
0: they, go. Yeah, but they they know they know that's my plan, um, right? And uh, I, I'm not concerned, but I do joke with my with my customers. <clears throat> I don't want to describe too much of my job. All right, so so I, w- while I'm getting the customers what they need, uh, I, I have time to talk to them, right? Because yeah. I have a machine that's working to do something, and um and you know I I and they always. They always comment about wow, this machine is amazing. Um, and I tell them, Oh, yeah. And when you come back next year, I won't be here, it'll just be a kiosk <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like at McDonald's where you just press what you want, yeah. You don't need to talk to anybody, <laughs>
1: yeah. It's yeah. an amazing thing, isn't it? That's that's even in re- fast food restaurants, that's another wave of the future, isn't it? Because I remember we went to um, Austria a few years ago, traveling through and saw McDonald's off the side of the road. And we went in thinking, well, okay, we need to speak German here. We need to figure out how to order in German or, or whatever. Everything was just a kiosk in the front of the restaurant. And you could select your language, French, German, English, Spanish, Chinese, whatever you wanted, and then place your order, push your buttons, pay with your card in whatever currency you wanted. And then wait a few minutes and your order came up and they called your number and off you went. We didn't speak to a single person even though we were in Austria, so that's how it's going, isn't it?
0: Yes. Yeah. You know that. That's. I can see that's where where it's going, and I I don't know if you if you know about this yet, but so I'm I'm sure you know about the dancing robots. You've probably seen that on YouTube. You it looks like maybe you haven't uh i'm
1: trying to think if is that where they is it like ai where they let the robots sort of learn how to dance or are they programmed to dance
0: they, they, uh i'm pretty sure these these i think it was boston robotics when you look at the robots they're very obviously soldiers right, right. Uh, okay uh, really, that's frightening yeah it's terrifying and then they program them to dance to um like do you love me uh uh like, like a motown song uh uh-huh and um they uh so they those those robots they 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 can dance and it's like okay i don't know that i i'm comfortable um with a robot dancing while it while it murders a bunch of innocent people in a fight enemy
1: air and in (laughs) quotes
0: yeah yeah and there's another robotics company here in the u.s that realizes, okay, so so that company has the soldier, the military industrial complex, they've got that market wrapped up. Mm-hmm. So we're not gonna try and compete with them. What we're gonna do is we're gonna lobby um, representatives and senators in the US Congress to allow us to tell corporations, no, you can't buy our robots, but you can pay them $9 an hour to work for you And, and, and us pay, pay the corporation $9 an hour for our robots to work for you. And I'm like, uh, my kids need jobs. I don't know (laughs) because you're damn sure not going to do universal basic income or, or anything like that. You're, um, you, you know, uh, so what you're, what it seems like you're headed towards here is there are no human jobs. And um, if you can't survive in that world, then starve. That's the problem. There's, there's no
1: w- nowhere for humans to go after that, because I remember talking to Kurt Anderson. He, he wrote the book Evil Geniuses. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but he talks about the, you know, the 1% of the world seems to control 95% of the world's wealth. So you get a guy like a Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, who just bought Twitter for $44 billion dollars. And their factories are increasingly filled with robots doing the work that humans used to do screwing tires on cars or moving packages around the Amazon warehouse or, or whatever. So that's the, and these guys are the wealthiest people in the world. That's where their wealth is coming from, isn't it? So what are we supposed to do? What are our kids, what are their kids going to be doing in 20, 30 years when those sort of manual jobs are long, long gone?
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I have, I have no clue. Um, hmm. You know, yeah, because like like right now people are turning to the gig economy because they mm-hmm. realize, oh, I can I don't have to put up with a supervisor. I, I can make my own schedule and I make more money than working for a corporation. You know, the only thing is you you don't really get benefits, right? And so but those jobs are also going to go away because those jobs can yeah. all be done by robots. That's
1: or self-driving cars. I mean, if if you work
0: for one of the Uber or Lyft or
1: something like that, eventually they're gonna be replaced by self-driving vehicles. You're gonna get on your phone, you're gonna tap the app and you're gonna call up a car. It's gonna show up to wherever you are. There won't be a driver in it. You'll get in the car, you'll have programmed the destination. It'll take you there. The money will be taken out of your account with a debit card transaction, an electronic Mm -hmm. transfer. And that's it. You won't need to own a car. You won't need a driver. You won't need a taxi. That's the, again, that's the wave of the future. So we're staring down the barrel of some <laughs> you're kind of scary shit here, you know. If yeah. we're looking at what is the role of humans in this
0: increasingly, you know, robotic age that we're moving into, right. And and I I am uh, I I am I've decided uh, what makes me happiest is going in the analog direction.
1: Right. So, so what do you do? What are you talking about? Going backwards in time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to uh, what what? if uh, if I can't get my writing and other things that I do to support me, uh, I am going to um, I'm going to go be a campground host, huh. uh, you know, to just clean toilets and showers and take out trash in campgrounds at a different campground every summer for the rest of my life. That's- There's always going to be a need for that. Right. I hope so. Anyway, unless, you know, they can hire unless they can hire, <laughs> a hire a
1: robot to do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> a toilet cleaning robot.
0: I mean, it's, there's yeah. got to
1: be a prototype sitting out there somewhere. Jeff Bezos <laughs> is probably <laughs> yeah. you know,
0: or, or a self-cleaning toilet or, you know, and and oh, <laughs> in Japan, shower. they
1: already have them. I think, you know, the toilets that to talk to you and everything else. So you mentioned your writing. I know we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about your books that you're uh, you've written some books on poetry and things. But maybe, I know we're kind of getting sidetracked on robots and everything else, but it is fascinating to me because I think this is a reality of the world that we're heading into. Things are changing radically. We have to find our place in them. And for you and me, for a long time, the answer was from religion. That's where we found our, you know, intellectual, you know. Uh, that's what we got our our kicks from we learned from it we taught it we did all sorts of stuff you and i were in ministry we had a lot in common i think you were more into the charismatic side of things than me but you talked about before you were into the sort of seven mountains mandate dominion theology out of houston texas and you walked away from all of that maybe you could give us a brief overview of kind of your journey out of evangelicalism or i guess charismatic christianity
0: right once I got into, and, you know, even before, so I'll, I'll go before I'll go, you know, BC. How's that?
1: Go way (laughs) back.
0: You're talking like, yes, Julius Caesar,
1: how far back are you going to (laughs) go?
0: So before I was a Christian, I I grew up in a, in a, in a house that didn't believe basically anything. And uh, I, and I was pretty much an atheist until I was 21, but I was, I was always drawn to the ecstatic, mystical, Type stuff that spiritual um, side, yeah, the 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 uh, kind of supernatural experiences, right? Uh, and then when I became a Christian, I became a Christian in uh, a, a Pentecostal denomination. Very quickly moved out of that into the charismatic area, and you know that uh, the, the mystical experiences—they're not just encouraged; they're required. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. And so I was—I was. Uh, I, I was I was incredibly happy pursuing those experiences. And then in the, in the aughts, um, I got involved with, with, with some, I got involved in the prophetic movement. I, I don't want to, mm-hmm. we've talked before, I'm not going to name names because these people are very rich and we'll sue the yeah. Were you part, um, was
1: it the new apostolic reformation, the NAR
0: um, type violations? I moved in and out of those circles, right? Yes. Right. You were part of that whole world as it were. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I wasn't part of I moved in and out of those circles. Right. So, okay. Right. Um, I interacted with those folks. I was never, uh, I was never officially in that, um, mm-hmm. but I was in the, I was involved with the prophetic movement. Uh, many of the folks who are in that movement, um, I did work uh, with or for, um, And while I was involved in that, uh, I found all these uh, interesting things about William Branham, who was a, uh, I guess he was a, he was a trailblazer in the charismatic prophetic uh, movement uh, in the early to mid 1900s. And I found a whole bunch of connections with him in Houston. And um, one of the leaders in the prophetic movement actually told me, That's an open heaven, and it's your job to get it open. Forget the cognitive dissonance in that language. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I set that aside. (laughs) Yeah, we're just going to set that aside. And uh, and um, so I started what what was known as the Houston Open Heavens movement, and we did it for. um, I was involved for two or three years. Uh, Two of my leaders basically took it over, and they were and and I I introduced the Seven Mountains mandate into that movement with all, I bought the book, uh, I bought one of the books for all of my leaders and I distributed it to a number of different, uh, pastors around the city. Um, and basically two of those, two of those leaders kind of got involved and they didn't kind of, they got really, really into the, uh, the Hebrew calendar and the feasts and all of those things. And, um, they just would not listen to me when I was going, this is, um, according to the new testament this is all done right these were the shadows we're now in the reality um and uh, they they were like no 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 this is still part of it and so uh, because i i believe in not or back then i believed in not being in strife in the body of christ i just i said okay the movement's yours mm-hmm. you can have Walk the whole away. thing." and i walked away i, I gave them all of it um, and and just walked away uh, and then a few years later, after getting fired several different times as, uh, as, as a worship leader, uh, and, and by the way, I, w- I was fired or just overlooked a number of different times throughout my career. My kids insist that I'm autistic. I'm, a, I'm on the spectrum mm-hmm. and I can't pick up on social cues. And I just really pissed off a lot of leaders. The wrong people. Yeah. Well, (laughs) just a quick uh,
1: question, going back to your time in Houston, how far did you get into stuff like spiritual mapping, spiritual warfare? Were you into all that as well? Because that's a component of a lot of it, isn't it?
0: I I was always in the spiritual warfare and the whole thing, finding all that stuff was from doing the spiritual mapping.
1: Right. So what is spiritual mapping for those who've never heard of the practice? What is
0: it? Man, you're you're asking me to remember almost all the <laughs> way back to 2007. 2000. I'm triggering you,
1: man. It's uh, all
0: coming back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so spiritual. Well, I'll I'll show. I, I can demonstrate. Okay. Uh, a little bit about spiritual mapping. First of all, Houston was a slave port, and nobody ever, um, no, none of the leaders ever said, "Hey, we um, this was wrong. We have to fix this, or we have to." repent of this or make this right um even to this day I, I don't think any of the of any houston mayor or texas governor or anybody like that said hey um we need to do something to acknowledge how this was, was it wasn't just wrong it was evil and murderous and just mm-hmm. yeah just horrible disgusting. Yeah. Just yeah unbelievably disgusting yeah and uh so so there's there's that aspect of it, and you can still see you can still see that crime carried out on a day to day basis in Houston. Right. Um, so there's or, still or the, deep
1: racial divisions and racism yeah, and everything. Yeah.
0: Yes, and and I shouldn't say you you don't see you, it's not that you don't it's not that you see that crime you see the effects right of that crime from three four hundred years ago. You still see it um, on a day to day basis. In Houston and all over Texas. In uh, I think it, it was like 19 somewhere in the 1950s, I think it was 1950. This guy, William Branham, who you can find, um, there's church it, an entire denomination is named yeah, after the Branhamites. All, they're Branhamite, they're yeah, have heard churches. of the Branhamites, yeah, yeah, and uh, many of those churches believe that he was Elijah to come. Mm-hmm. Right. But he uh, um, he had a he had a meeting in Houston in um, I believe it was the George R. Brown Convention Center. And during that meeting, he said the angel of the Lord is standing right beside me right now. And it, apparently it was a very powerful meeting. And when he said that somebody took a picture and it looks like a purple halo over his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and that picture at least in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, that picture was in the Smithsonian Institute in Washington as the only verified picture of a supernatural being.
1: So when was this? When Brandon was talking or speaking in Houston, what what year would that have been? I,
0: I it was I think it was nineteen fifty. Right. So it in, was the 50s. in the it, it was in the fifties at some point. Right. It wasn't nineteen fifty. So I I went to go find uh the george r brown convention center and um and it's not there and i was like wait well why isn't it here mm-hmm. well they knocked it down and they built the hobby center for performing arts
1: oh, i thought you were gonna say the
0: hobby lobby <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: that would have been the ultimate irony man
0: <laughs> the hobby
1: lobby oh yeah. my god <laughs>
0: yeah. so they they built they 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 built the uh they they built the Hobby Center for the Performing Arts. And the Hobby Center for the Performing Arts is actually two separate theaters in the same place where they had one. And uh, one of the stories about William Branham is that uh, the first time the angel of the Lord appeared to him, he was baptizing a bunch of people in the Mississippi River and a pillar of fire came swirling down from heaven. Hundreds of people saw it, some fainted, some ran away, terrified, some fell on their faces, worshiping God you know this is the story and there was there was a woman in a rowboat who was uh out on the river mocking him the whole time he was baptizing people because he was baptizing like hundreds of people in the river um and she just she was mocking him the whole time and the the story goes when that when that pillar of fire came down out of heaven she went insane and spent the rest of her life in an insane asylum mm. Um, because you know, touch not my prophet. Uh, yeah. Touch, touch not, not, the not the Lord's anointed. anointed. Yeah, and, well, I was just gonna say, my prophet's no harm, right? So you've got this um,
1: prophetic figure. So how, what does that all do with spiritual okay. mapping then?
0: Okay, okay. So you're getting I, there. I told, I, I told you that story. <laughs> I told you the story about the meeting. Right. I show up at the Hobby Center for the Performing Arts, and the and and I'm standing there looking at it, going, "Okay, God, what am I supposed to see? <laughs> right. The angel still hanging around here, you know." Right one uh, what so, so there's two separate theaters i forget the name of the of the one theater as you're looking at it one theater is on the left one theater is on the right i forget the theater on the left i forget the name the theater on the right is seraphim seraphim hall
1: oh come on you couldn't make this stuff up man <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> there's so, your biblical angels right there there you go. And Cherubims. Then, it's not cherubim. The other one. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, There's your angel connection there. Back right. to Branham.
0: Yes. Right. So and then positive. Uh, And then outside the outside this hall, there are some sculptures. And w- remember what I told you. The the very first time the angel of the Lord appeared to him, it was a pillar of fire swirling down from heaven. Mm-hmm. One of the sculptures is a swirling sculpture that's like 20 feet high swirling down like a tornado right and and when you walk up to it it's got all these faces in it (laughs) it
1: and i don't
0: think i i don't think the uh i don't think the 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 sculptor knew the story in any way shape or form right purely coincidence right of course it was so so that's uh so that's that. Then you walk across the street. Uh and across the street is uh is um Tranquility is it Tranquility Park? I think I Tranquility is is uh one of the things on the moon, right? Mhm. Sea of okay. Tranquility. Sea of Tranquil right. So Tranquility yes. Park is across the street. You walk you and it and the park is is two levels cuz the park kind of it, it 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 it's level and then it goes down a hill, right? right. To, to the rest of the park. So when you walk across the street, it's it's Tranquility Park and it and it's all these things to the missions to the moon. And that and it's pretty cool, it's neat, right? You walk down the hill to the second part of the park, and the first thing you run into is a uh, it is a a giant boulder that was put there with a plaque on it and the plaque is dedicated to the seven members of the crew of challenger who sacrificed their lives mm-hmm. for the mission of ascending man into the heavens right so it all comes together <laughs> right angel <laughs> yeah. Branham, houston yep and um, Evan.
1: yeah it's all there right and,
0: and as soon as i read it of course my jesus freak mind said oh they had the wrong mission it's not ascending man into the heavens it's bringing heaven to earth that's the mission
1: mm-hmm.
0: right and so uh so th- that is spiritual mapping right all, all these powerful things uh basically coming together in this one spot
1: right A specific region city neighborhoods yes. right yeah so it's, all, it's and, all the history and everything comes together and there's right. thom- and- something about uh, generational curses as well, because you were mentioning the slave connection to Houston. Is that mm-hmm. part of that? This is a generational curse that needs yes. to be lifted, that needs to be addressed by right. somebody to then bring revival and, and everything to that particular city.
0: Yes. And, and then, a, a, as well as, you know, um, we committed genocide.
1: Yeah, by the Native Get Americans planned. and
0: everything right. else. Yeah, and then and then we stole it from. Well, first of all, we didn't. the The Spanish government committed genocide in 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 Texas, mm-hmm. and then um and then we stole it from from the from Spanish Mexico. government. Yeah, right. no, yeah, it
1: was then, Spain, really wasn't it a Spanish right. colony originally?
0: Yeah, and then and then we we finished the genocide, uh, and and then also uh, decided that. Um, You know, that wasn't enough racism that we had to be racist to the to the uh, Mexican people who were already living there because it was their land. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: Right?
0: Yeah. So they were the natives originally
1: to the indigenous people.
0: (laughs) So, so, you know, there's all these things that um, just will I don't I don't think Texas will ever acknowledge. Right. The people all acknowledge it, but the government will never acknowledge it. Right. So it's up to these prophets, because how much
1: of it too relates to a guy uh, named Derek Prince? Have you heard of Derek Prince? Because he was a British uh, preacher. I've heard of him coming in in connection, coming over to the States from from uh, Great Britain. And he used to talk about, you know, binding the strongman and finding these generational curses in your particular region, in your city, area, uh, Mm -hmm. state, whatever the region was. And there's some sort of demonic presence that has to be dealt with, defeated in terms of a spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. whereby then revival will break out or whatever the desired outcome is. Surely that's part of what guys like Derek Prince
0: are talking about. Probably, but um, I, I, I avoided, um, I, I, had some, I had some older men in my life at that point. They counseled me very, very strongly to avoid that type of thing right because they had done it and their lives were absolutely destroyed by it as far that's what they believed right now i I know you and i talking like this um it it, it's it's unsettling to me how how much it sounds like we believe this stuff (laughs) yeah that's true i was gonna say (laughs) and i want to make sure everybody knows i don't believe any of this anymore i think this was um this was a religiously trained uh powerful uh, because i i have a very powerful imagination and creative bent to me and i think this was a very um highly trained religious imagination that all this stuff came together um in my mind i don't know that any of it has any significance whatsoever yeah but a lot of people
1: like i say people like Derek prince and others would
0: make those same connections you did
1: you could go back say okay we've got uh, slavery in Houston, we've got genocide of of Mexican Native Americans, none of that has been resolved, none of that has been dealt with. So therefore, we're on some sort of spiritual level plane here, where we've got to go back and deal with these reconcile these sins of the past. And then Mm -hmm. if if nothing else, maybe God will start blessing the place, maybe revival will break out. I mean, is that what you were trying to do with your
0: open heavens movement? Right, and and um, and again, I had these older these older men counsel me. You know, you don't you don't lead people into spiritual warfare. You you, mm. you worship God and you pray, and that's it. And I was like, okay, yes, I like that. <laughs> I can, can do, do that. that. Yeah, and uh, and so that's what that's what the Open Heavens movement was all about. It was about worshiping God and and praying for the city. And uh, I had very strict rules for people who were participating. And if they broke those rules, which a couple did, um, you know, oh, I have to, I just have to obey the spirit here, brother, and call people to repent. And I was like, no, you, and I said it on the mic. I said, no, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to happen. Well, he, he did it anyway. Um, Stepped away from the person who had the mic, you know, he grabbed the mic, stepped away from the person with the mic and was, you know, commanding people to repent. And, and uh, that person was never invited back, which is like, no, you can't, you, you can't come back. You just. You're done. Uh, you, don't understand, yeah. you don't understand or respect what we're doing here. You just, you're just not right. But uh, um, so, so yeah, I avoided all the spiritual warfare stuff. Uh, and by the way, somebody um, there was after, after I found this stuff um, and this, you know, I, I told this, this quote unquote prophet, what I had found, he told me that's an open heaven. It's your job to get it open. Um, I was just like, okay, well, I have no money. I, I have nothing. What do I do? Uh, and then like a week later, uh, this guy called me and said, you know, what's God telling you? And I said, meet me downtown. I'll show you. And I showed it all to him. And I said, and he says, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I just want to gather the churches, worship God and, and pray for the city. He says, okay, I'll pay for it. And he, and he, and he paid for it. Yeah, he paid for all the permits. Um, somebody, somebody donated a, a a sound system to me that I still have to this day, um, but he he you know he knew how to re- work with the city and get all the permits done and everything. And I showed him you know I, I want it to be at in I want it to be in the place where they had the 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 boulder dedicated to Challenger, uh, and I and I believe was it is it Columbia is the other one I think so yeah um and there's 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 one there for Columbia as well and I want it to set up there by those things. And because it made kind of a natural amphitheater as you went up the hill. um, So people could more people could be there going up the hill and they could hear what was going on the whole time. And after like the 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 second after the third or fourth one, the guy who showed up and was like, yeah, I'll pay for all of it. I got it. He actually said to me, he said, he said, you really don't know what you're doing, do you? I (laughs) I said, what do you mean? He said. The building that you're facing, I was like, "Yeah, what about it?" He's like, "Dean, that's City Hall. <laughs> that's, the, that's the mayor's office, <laughs> right towards City Hall." Yeah. So the whole time we were we were worshiping and praying right at <laughs> City Hall. <laughs> that might and have been no seen idea. as a
1: sign of you know God needs to save the mayor and all the people that yeah. work in the City Hall.
0: Yeah, and and at the time uh, at the time she was the first openly openly gay mayor of the city.
1: Oh yeah,
0: that would have done
1: it. When we come back in the second half of the conversation with Dean, we're gonna look at this issue of how is he working to rebuild, reconstruct his life, having left charismatic Christianity behind, losing his faith, losing his religion, What is he doing to put it all together or back together? Because this is something I've talked about with a lot of different people on different podcasts. The idea of sort of looking at it from a cult psychology point of view, you have our religious self and then we have our authentic self, which is in many ways kind of fighting to break free of that shell or that crust. And we want to rebuild that. We want to get in touch with our authentic self. So we're going to discuss what he and I have been doing since we both left the faith and sort of comparing stories, comparing notes. I just want to let you know what's coming up here in the next few episodes on the show. The next episode we've got that's gonna drop is with Luna Corbden. We had a good talk about Luna's experience growing up in the Mormon faith, walking away from it all. And again, similar to Dean rebuilding their life after leaving a cult, leaving religion behind. And then following that, I've got a conversation with Kerry Noble. I've mentioned before he was a member of the Covenant Sword and Arm of the Lord, the CSA, back in the 1970s and 80s, which became sort of a white supremacist militia group, kind of the forerunner to the groups that we see today, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, these groups that we saw at the January 6th insurrection and basically during the Trump era. Well, the CSA was sort of one of the forerunners to all those sort of militia groups, the white supremacy and all the rest of it. And he's working now to help people get out of that movement. So, actually, a lot of the stuff that Carrie and I talked about does have relevance for what we're seeing today. And then I've got a two part episode coming out. This is actually going to drop on the 19th of August with the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast. I talked the other day with. Brian and Troy, they're down in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, They got up super early and I stayed up super late because of the time zone differences. So we're going to do one half on their show and the other half is going to come out on my show and that's going to drop as a bonus episode on the 19th. So that was just a fantastic discussion with Brian and Troy. So look for those two halves coming out on the 19th. And then one other thing I wanted to mention, I've got a call booked in with a returning guest that we had on the show not long ago, Dr. David DeAndre. We mentioned on that episode that he was writing a book, he was about to publish it called Tulip, the Poisonous Flower of Calvinism, and it's just come out. And so I've booked in a call with David to talk about his book. In fact, I've been doing a lot of research on Calvin ever since I did that episode on theocracy, and I looked at Calvin's Geneva. I've read a couple of books. I've done a little bit more research, so I have a lot more questions this time around for David, so look for that episode, too, coming up with Dr. David DeAndre talking about his new book on Calvinism. And then finally, one thing that's really, really cool is we're going to be starting up again our MindShift Zoom calls in the month of September really looking forward to booking some guests in. we've talked to mike phillips who was just on the show the other week he's a therapist out of california we've talked about having luna corbden come back in and maybe even carrie noble so we've got some guests lined up for the fall or autumn term on these MindShift Zoom calls, and these are accessible to you as a member of the closed Facebook group, which you can access by becoming a Patreon supporter of the show. And in fact, speaking of Patreon supporters, I wanted to give a thank you to Emily McQuillen. Greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for your support. becoming the latest patron of the show. Now let's get on back into the second half of this conversation with Dean Crosets looking at this issue of leaving Christianity becoming what he terms himself as a strict materialist with doubts what does that mean he's going to explain that in the second half of this conversation yeah. so he ended up getting out though because you were yes. I, mean, I know we talked about this in our our previous podcast you got really scorched in some churches as you as you alluded to earlier. Yeah, uh, worship gigs and stuff because you were a guitar player worship leader and different worship bands and stuff so how did you end up getting out and what are you doing now in terms of your so, own reconstruction
0: right so it, it, in uh January January 1st 2015 I realized I I just don't believe any of this anymore and I actually realized it about a month earlier but but I I said to God, okay, I'm gonna show up here at the prayer spot every day, all through December, um, because I need to hear from you. If you don't speak to me, I'm 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 literally done. I cause you know, I, I can't I can't do this anymore. And nothing. I, I just got nothing. And as you know, and the truth is I showed up like January first, January second. Yeah, January it was 4th. more than a month. <laughs> yeah, please, please. No, I'm 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 still here. Throw please, me a no, bone, January. something, anything. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I got nothing and I realized, okay, I I just, I just don't believe anymore. And so what I decided to do was just quietly fade away because I had spent 25 years wholeheartedly believing and working really hard at this thing that I realized was completely wrong. And one thing I didn't want to do was go real hard in the other direction only to realize five years later, oh no, I'm wrong here too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, um, makes sense. And and so I just wanted to quietly fade away. Uh, and also, you know, a big portion of my my business, which was teaching music, I taught guitar and piano out of my home in a very Christian neighborhood. I I didn't want to ruin that business, and then but people started noticing they were like you haven't posted anything about the lord or you're, you're not ministering anywhere are I'm you a church lately on? yeah <laughs> yeah and uh uh and then um one of my one of my former parishioners um outed me on facebook because um i was supporting bernie and i was i was very much against hillary and trump and then when uh when hillary got the nomination you know, I said, you know, I, I can't stand her. She, she's, she's literally a psychopath. Um, but this other dude is even worse than her. And I just can't, I can't, yeah, can't vote do it. for him. And I can't sit it out because, you know, I'm terrified. And because I said that, um, that this parishioner put on Facebook, it's obvious that you are, you, you completely went to the other side. You are openly serving the enemy. Everybody knows you're an atheist now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And there, there went half my, half my music business. Just, yep. just, just bailed like, on you. Yeah. Yeah. Start the shunning now. Yeah. And uh, it took about six months. I was able to build it back up. Never got it big as big as it had been. Um, but I was yeah. able to build it back up to to where it supported us. Now that was, uh, you know, that was a long time ago. In 2018, sold that house, moved to the Poconos because I I realized being out in nature is what makes me happy. It's what turns me on. No new music comes to me anymore. um, And I just can't get myself to play. The students were getting ripped off um, because I I just, I was only half there. Yeah. Your heart wasn't in it. Yeah. And so, um, so, so I just, I, I sold, you know, I sold the business, sold the house, moved to the Poconos. And I love, I mean, my, my YouTube channel is just, it's like a hundred or more videos of me feeding deer by hand. They just walk up to my deck (laughs) and eat right (laughs) out of my hand. I was incredibly happy. um, But I couldn't, uh, I couldn't find work. I couldn't, you know, outside of, yeah. Yeah. Outside of music and ministry, I, I, I I'm kind of useless.
1: That's the problem, isn't it? For so many of us that got out after decades in ministry, our only marketable skills would have been you know, preaching or teaching the Bible studies and classes like that or music in the church. Obviously, you have translatable skills as a musician, but I mean, I play in bands. We don't make any money. I mean, you know, right. we're yeah. just lucky to get a gig every once in a while. You know, and yeah. that's it. We're losing money at this thing. It's just purely for the fun of playing, isn't it? But yeah, that's a big problem for a lot of us who, especially, spent a long time in ministry. We have very few marketable
0: skills. Right, and uh, and and that's that's me. And, and you know, I, t- I told a, I told a buddy who is a musician here in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Um, I told him a couple of weeks ago, I said, yeah, you know, the only thing I've ever been good at is, is music and ministry. And, um, and he said, come on, Dean, you're selling yourself short. <laughs> he huh. said, you used to be really, really good at drugs. <laughs> <laughs> you got that going for you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But at, at 54, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be dead pretty quick. <laughs> that's true.
1: Yeah, It's <laughs> not a good way to go. Well, so now though, you're writing poetry. Yeah, How hello. is that part of this process of like reconstructing, rebuilding? Because I think obviously a lot of us coming out of whatever religion, cult, whatever background we're, we had, we got to find something that is restorative, isn't it? For me, it's playing music. I'm sure the same for you, but I like to build furniture. I spent a whole week. Um, I was on holiday. My girlfriend was in Rhodes. She went to Greece and I spent pretty much a glorious week building a cabinet in my workshop and i didn't notice the time i didn't know what was going on i just put the music on and i lost myself for about a week and just had so much fun doing that for myself and i thought this is the kind of stuff i need to do for me that is a restorative thing you're in the zone and just enjoying it you don't even notice the hours going by that's when you know you're in the zone
0: is that the way it is for you doing your poetry uh, y- yes and and i you know' I'm, I'm lucky that um you know hiking and camping are big things in my life they always have been being out in nature causes me to have more creative juice right yeah so yeah, that's where you connect to whatever it <clears throat> is and so i i, I write between and, and anywhere from from uh 500 to 750 a thousand poems every year mm. And I, I do it uh, almost every single morning. In, instead, that's that's my devotion now. Your is, quiet time, instead yeah, of reading yeah. the Bible
1: and praying every morning.
0: Right. I, I I wake up and I write three pages of. Uh, I, I I write some uh, affirmations. I write three pages of uh, stream of consciousness writing. Uh, it doesn't have to be about anything. It doesn't have to be anything good or profound. Just three pages. Just get it out. Just kind of like a mind dump. Right. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and then I write poetry. Being in nature and writing the poetry, especially writing the poetry, really fulfills or or feeds or nourishes the mystic part of me. So I, I tell people, you know, at this point in my life, I'm I'm a strict materialist with doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I, I still I still uh, need that mysticism to to keep me healthy. But I don't believe there's any supernatural stuff going on, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, and I just I, I I write ecstatically, like like Rumi or or uh, John of the Cross or um, yeah Thomas Akempa, some of the great mystics of
1: the medieval period and all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you read a poem to me before we hit record. I thought it was really really powerful. I think it was catharsis, something yeah. like that. And you talked about it's part of this journey of sort of recovering, reconstructing, recovering your authentic self. Uh, Can you read that poem for us?
0: Sure. This is from my book, Tsunamis. And again, it's Catharsis. I was young. I arrived at God's house and found him truant. I was caught unprepared for life. Adulthood drove me back to an alternate location. I found him there. Middle age arrived in a fizzle and grief. I learned he had been my imagination all along. Learning to live with the reality as it is has been the catharsis of my life. Hmm.
1: That's a powerful sentiment, isn't it? We did find God or so we thought, you know, it was all about that mystical manipulation, milieu control, all that stuff. It was a context that we were in. I think we talked about that before, you get caught up in the ecstatic worship experiences, and they really are an emotional roller coaster. They take you on a journey. And in that context, we have found God in air quotes. And there's mm-hmm. thousands of people around us all worshiping and crying and weeping. And it's, it's incredibly powerful, isn't it? And you think, yeah. I've found something. I've, I've really tapped into something profound here. But then you're saying, wait a minute, what happened at the end? there was nothing there, but that emotional experience or whatever it
0: was. Yeah. And, and, um, and, you know, I, I tell people I I was, I was really good at it. I was really good at creating those experiences. Mm -hmm. I always looked at myself as I thought of myself as different from other worship leaders in that I wasn't, I never thought of myself as performing. I was taking people through an experience and I don't know how to do that with secular music. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I and I don't want to go back to playing other people's music because I worked so hard to be able to do my own music for a living. Right. Right. You don't want and, to play in a covers band then? Not at all. And I I have friends, I have friends who do it and they they love it. They have such a blast. Oh my gosh. They're having so much fun and they the audience loves them. They interact with the audience and it's just they just have the best time. And, um, and I don't know how to do that. Right. Mm. (laughs) So I just leave it alone. But, uh, this, uh, but you know, being out in nature, camping, hiking, and then taking pictures and creating, uh, writing poems and things like that. Um, they fulfill that mystical experience, that bliss, Mm -hmm. uh, ecstatic side of me that, uh, um, I was missing once I left Christianity
1: right what have you found as far as the reaction to your poetry what do people say when they read your stuff because obviously you do have a spiritual component some of it is deconstructing your former faith and everything else what's the sort of feedback that you get
0: um mostly i you know i, I get mostly good feedback um i, I get that's mostly, good <laughs> yeah, <laughs> At least yeah they didn't say it was
1: shit you know <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's one
0: form of feedback yeah yeah um and uh and i'm usually surprised like that that poem catharsis mm-hmm. um i included it um but i didn't uh, it, it's not it's not the title of the book it's it but that poem sticks out to all the ex-evangelicals
1: mm-hmm.
0: um they all they all mention it
1: um I identify with it for sure i could definitely yeah. <laughs> relate to it
0: <laughs> And, and, uh, and, and it didn't, it never occurred to me that that would, um, but that's because I, I purposely stayed away from the, the, uh, the unbelieving evangelical community. And, uh, and I, I can tell you, uh, for anybody who's listening, who's just getting into reconstruction, or you're not sure, you, you think you left the church or whatever, um, that was a mistake. I should not have, um, it, it's fine to avoid the atheist community, but um. There's so much healing in the ex-evangelical community. Um, yes,
1: that's true. Uh, it the, can be.
0: Yeah. Um, they, there's, there's support. There's understanding. There's, hey, I know exactly what you're going through. <laughs> here's, here's what I went through. Here's, here's how I got through it. Here's what I did. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. There's so much of that. And it's, uh, it, it's incredibly valuable. And I injured myself for the first couple of years. By avoiding those things. It's true. We need support.
1: We need community. It's funny because we just had a woman join our closed Facebook group. And when I asked for her backstory, cause I always, you know, I'll say, welcome. So-and-so let's welcome this person to the group. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you end up here? And it turns out she's from Perth, Australia, a friend recommended an episode with someone I'd done from Australia, Dr. Josie McSkimming. She looked the podcast up on Google, found it listen to it she had a long drive across Australia so she loaded up a few episodes on her in her car to listen on the Bluetooth and you know you think what that's it's amazing to someone in Australia driving across the outback listening to my podcast of an interview <laughs> with a woman from Sydney Australia how does that work but she said I just need a supportive community you know and exactly what you're saying she's she's just getting out of of, of years of church and everything else you know so it's, it's an amazing thing to think that you and I have been a part of something like that to help someone across, you know, on the other far, far reaches of the planet.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's really pretty cool. cool, isn't
1: it? It really <laughs> is. It's a, quite a profound thing to think, you know, and we've said this before. I think that probably you and I have that. We do have that pastoral instinct. We want to help other people. It's just now we're doing it in ways that are not religious. You're writing poetry. I'm doing the podcast. I'm writing, doing whatever it is I'm doing, but it is still helping people, isn't it?
0: Yes, and and I'm I'm actually uh, I'm about halfway through getting my uh, practitioner certification for neuro linguistic programming.
1: Right, the NLP.
0: Yes, so I can so I can um, so I can feed that ministry part of me with no religion yep. involved uh knowing that i can actually help people <laughs> right you're
1: not offering them the platitudes of god and everything else
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah so how can people find you that's my last question then if we're getting ready to wrap it up okay. they're okay. looking let's say they're looking for your books they want to find out more about your poetry they want to talk to you what's the best way first of all to find you and then how do you
0: get a hold of your books uh, well, me, you, you, I'm most active on Twitter, mm-hmm. Dean Krositz. It's just that's it. That's my handle. Um, uh, right now, I, I you, when you go when you look up at Dean Krositz, and I'm sure you'll you'll provide a link. Let yeah, I'll put it in the show notes because it. it you know I couldn't spell it till I was like 11. <laughs> that's true. I probably I misspelled it half
1: the time. <laughs> yeah.
0: But uh, yeah, uh right now it said uh, it says Dean of Peace that you, you'll know and it's me sitting in front of a waterfall right. <laughs> imagine that
1: imagine um, that out in nature
0: yeah <laughs> yeah uh so that's how that's the easiest way to get hold of me dean uh, dean crow sits on twitter uh my books are on amazon they're on kindle uh they're they're very easy to get hold of all but my latest book which is uh was released a month ago it is called thoughts in winter um and it's basically me uh, fighting depression, uh, it, writing poems, fighting depression, getting through winter, a, a, a long, difficult winter. So, mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so. And, and and there's hope, there, there's hope in the book. Uh, the, the, it's not just all depression. It's actually me finding hope in all kinds of different ways.
1: Yeah. But like I said, uh, without that religious component, because I mean, how many times yes. in the church would we have said, well, you have unconfessed sin or you just need to believe the Bible more or whatever yeah. it is it's not depression it's a, it's a demonic you know manifestation yeah. in your life whatever it might be so right. now you're actually working through it. a lot of that's a spiritual bypassing isn't it oh god's gonna help me i'm not i don't have to actually face the real issues here whatever <laughs> is going on i just pray about it
0: yeah and I, I i've never heard that term before i don't think but that's uh that's good spiritual bypassing <laughs> it's a
1: good one yeah it's basically assigning spiritual you know explanations or meaning to and having to then uh, that allows you to then avoid really dealing with the issues head on you can just spiritualize it and it sounds good it's a platitude but yet you're not really dealing with the root causes of the problem and i mean obviously evangelicals are masters of spiritual bypassing i did it as a christian i'm sure you did it We, we didn't i didn't even know there was such a thing until a few years ago then i was like oh my god I've been yeah. I've done that for years as a Christian, you know, oh, classic yeah. spiritual bypassing.
0: Wow. OK, I, I, I'm going to have to do a little more uh, looking do a little into more there.
1: digging on spiritual bypassing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dean. Man, it's been way too long. I don't know why it's been so long, but we've always had good catch ups anyway. This is like old home year for me because I don't know what's going on, but I've for some reason starting in January, I've been like coming back around and reconnecting with people that i to even two three years ago and like finding out where they're at now so this has been a really cool journey to you know keep in touch with what you're doing
0: well thank you i, I appreciate it. i you know i mean you and i kind of uh we 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 talk like this we don't necessarily do the podcast but we talk like this like every six months that's uh, true it's, it's it's been it's been a little longer than that um but uh um this time but i i was uh I, I was i was uh, trying to find a new job trying to settle into a new job getting my house ready to sell in, in, in the mountains mm-hmm. you know uh, all of that going on so uh, I apologize but we will uh, we will I, I'd love to you know uh, make it more than, <laughs> than just uh, every six months That'd be yes great.
1: we will definitely I'll keep in touch with you keep in touch with me uh, uh, thank you so much Dean and I will talk to you again
0: awesome again.